Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa dematis Lapore and Ann Baldwin. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. As you just heard in the introduction, I'm Ann Baldwin, one of the hosts of this program. Joined this morning by Lisa dematis Lapore, who is the president and CEO of The Connection. And we're very happy to have back um, a regular guest on this program, John Carl Casa, who is the president and CEO of The Alliance. And John Carl has been a very persistent voice in representing um, all the mission-driven nonprofit organizations across the state of Connecticut, including The Connection. So, John Carl, thank you for coming back on the program. We appreciate it. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So you're in the midst of a, do we call it a battle or just, you know, there's so much going on with COVID and everything else and, you know, nonprofit work doesn't stop. Um, if anything, I think during situations like this, the the level of clients and people in need of services actually increases. So where are you at right now at the Alliance as far as, you know, getting out there and being a voice for all nonprofits and trying to get funded properly? Well, you're, you're certainly right that the work doesn't stop for nonprofits. You know, um, one of the points we're trying to drive home this legislative session as we pursue increased funding for nonprofits is that as of last year, 12, 13 months ago, we did a calculation that said that nonprofits had over the previous dozen years uh, fallen $461 million behind in buying power. Then they got hit by COVID. And so with the expenses that they'd been dealing with and the lack of revenue that they'd been dealing with, they then had both of those things exacerbated by COVID. And what did they do? They did their jobs. They fulfilled their missions. They helped people. Um, As you say, they continue to do things no matter what happens out there. And certainly, John Carl, you know more than more than ever that you're, I appreciate what you said, that the work is, is never stops and the wait lists never stop. And through all this, uh, this pandemic, we have seen a huge increase 
of domestic violence, opi- opioid abuse, increased homelessness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, let alone what the impact of COVID-19 has had on our community with regard to people's mental health, et cetera. And so our waiting lists are longer than ever. And, um, you know, we're just trying to, you know, make ends meet and do the best that do the very best that we can. And the work is so very challenging and we're all dedicated throughout the state of Connecticut. But what we do know is that the needs are, are increasingly growing. They're, they're definitely not decreasing. And that is a concern on how can we maintain our beautiful state and offer our citizens who greatly need the services so much to be uh, contributing members of society. And they want to be. And we can't do that without funding. We just can't. And I think one of the things that that nonprofits have tried to make clear to folks is that in that kind of situation where your work is increasing, where the need keeps going up, funding from the state doesn't do the job. It's essentially a no. cut because you're doing more with the same, and that doesn't work, especially after a dozen years. Um, we, you know, we feel confident this year that we have an opportunity with the legislature to make some progress. Uh, the Appropriations Committee chairs have endorsed a long-term increase in funding for nonprofits, and they're good folks to have on our side. Uh, the battle is going to be long and difficult, but you know we, we are confident with their support we can make some progress. Let me ask you, though, John Carl, $461 million behind. How do you ever catch up to that, or do you? We've asked for is that that be phased back in over a five-year period, and that as that's done, it be indexed for inflation so that we don't continue to fall further behind. Um, the first year would be a 7% increase. It would be a total to nonprofits of $128 million, but to the state, just $67 million because the rest would be paid by the federal government. So we think it's very doable. The state has a surplus, a very large surplus this year. Uh, the Office of Fiscal Analysis has estimated the surplus for this fiscal year, free and clear, of $187 million. But that's not even counting surplus money that is going to be deposited into the rainy day fund, and that's over $500 million. Rainy day fund already has $3.5 billion in it. So the state is in the kind of fiscal situation we've been hoping for for years. It, gives, it has the ability to help in a way that it has not in the past. And then, you know, Lisa, you must be at the connection and all nonprofits much, must be so grateful for the fact that you've got an organization like the Alliance that's out there lobbying on your behalf, that's really got their finger on the pulse of what's going on at the legislature, even though it's, it's mainly virtual at this point. But then once these monies, once they come in, if they do come in, how do you figure distribution? Because everybody's got their you know, their needs and their wants as far as nonprofits go in our state. How is that then um, distributed to the nonprofits in Connecticut? It's paid to nonprofits in a couple of different ways, depending on the, um, the kind of work that they do. Essentially, though, they have contracts with the state, um, often with more than one state department. could be the Department of Developmental Services, the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, Department of Children and Family families, all three of those agencies might fund 
the same organization or an organization may just work with one of them and they do it under contract. The contracts are, um, in, in the view of many people in the nonprofit community, are sort of not, are sort of one-sided because what happens is unlike when the state enters into a contract, say with a road builder, you know, with a road builder they sign a contract, they say we're going to give you a million dollars, and the road builder goes and does the work of whatever that work costs. With nonprofits, if the state gives them a million dollars and it only costs nine hundred thousand state makes them pay it back. They don't do it with anybody else. So instead of uh, allowing them to use revenue that they've saved through efficiency or innovations, uh, they're not able to put it toward helping people more. It has to go back to the state. That's absolutely right. Um, And, you know, it's very difficult um, with flat funding and with the complex needs, as, as you talked about, growing. You know, the needs of the clients are greater. And, you know, the I, I know that, you know, you and I have talked about this before. We've been in meetings before that, the, you know, the staff are your greatest asset. The staff of every nonprofit is really what make makes your program work to help um, the most challenged uh, clients in Connecticut. And if we have to make a cut to a budget, the first thing, you know, the first thing that others will look at is we'll cut your staff. Well, we can't do that. Because if we cut our staff, then we're we're not running an accurate, um, well-staffed program to serve our clients because the needs are so great, and that makes it difficult. Um, because we're all, I think we're pretty all strong-headed, all of my peers in Connecticut, and we really we're all committed and love the work that we do. But at the same time, you know, we just keep pushing through and figuring figuring out, you know, how we're going to make things work. But at the end of the day. Um, you know, there are times when, you know, that we have and others have had to say we can't run this program anymore because we will not be providing the correct level of services. And we don't want to do that because we we would be happy to, to maintain what we have. But we also know that services also need to grow because, as I stated earlier, our waitlist numbers are growing. So, you know, you're really stuck in a, in a catch-22 because, you don't want to run a program that's more hurtful. You want to run a program and treatment um, and all uh, levels of service that obviously are staffed accurately with the right kind of staff and trained staff. And um, this work is difficult. And um, people come into the field for a reason. And we want to do a great job. And we want to be able to, you know, show our numbers to um, OFA um, uh, you know, Office of Fiscal Analysis have run many of our uh, programs numbers to show that um, we're saving we're saving actually money in the state by having services, right? Because you're getting people out of um, hospitals and other type of services that cost the state more money. So investing in nonprofit, investing in these services really saves the state dollars, right? Um, because we're making a difference. So it's it's just, you know, it's been the struggle for so long and you have, you know, truly been our leader and such a huge, you know, advocate for us um, to fight for our cause. And we are really so grateful for you and the alliance. Well, I, you know, I thank you. I think that people owe nonprofit employees and, and leadership a, a debt of thanks for the work they do. I, you know, all we encourage legislators uh, to visit nonprofits mm-hmm. and see the work that they do 
talk with the dedicated people that, that are there, not getting paid what they should be getting paid for the help that they give folks. Uh, see the high quality of the programs and understand that they can, that this is part of the state's network of support, support for people. Um, somebody had said to me a couple of years ago, the reason nonprofits aren't getting increases or get cut is because they do the job anyway. And that right. goes to what you're saying, because this is who the people are who work for nonprofits. They are dedicated and they care about their missions. What people at the state level have to understand is that there is a breaking point. We've already seen programs close. We've already seen layoffs occur, furloughs occur. Um, at a certain point, just the numbers just don't work anymore. We're a business, right? We really are a business. People think nonprofit, like you just said, but we are like any other business, right? So we need to be able to function and move forward, um, et cetera. And to your point, we, um, you know, we work closely with, um, with a, a lobbyist, and we have over these many years that I've been at The Connection, 30 years, have done a lot of tours and have had a lot of people out from the legislature who, you know, have really supported um, our programs and understand the work that we do. We've had our clients testify, which they're doing over the next several uh, the next several days um, at the Appropriations Committee um, hearing. Um, for all of the, you know, different funders that you mentioned earlier and our staff to talk about why services are needed and also for, uh, for our former clients to talk about how programs have helped them and that they're giving back to society and a difference that it made and they're break, we're breaking generational cycles of abuse. So we're getting people out of systems where, you know, the children of today, um, are giving, a given an opportunity because their parents are getting healthier. So therefore, you know, they run a strong chance of, a chance of not going into a system and making that impact and that's what we you know that's what we're fighting for yeah it's a it's an, it's an ongoing battle that nonprofits fight I mean I, I you know since taking this job I cannot tell you how impressed I've been with the work that people do and and how they carry on no matter what the challenges are no matter how daunting they are um, but you know as I've said at a certain point it becomes financially not feasible if the, if, you know, a dozen years of needs increasing, then a pandemic uh, exacerbating that problem many times, um, and the funding staying the same, it just doesn't work. And I think we're starting to see the safety net shred a little bit as, as yeah. that goes on. Well, one of the things is, and, and you brought this up, Lisa, is that for folks to think that this money is being just thrown at the problem, that's not the case, right? You know, John Carl, you've got a reporting deadline coming up of April 24th. Um, there are figures, there are numbers. You talk about ending the cycle and um, preventing folks maybe from another generation of incarceration or or drug and alcohol mm -hmm. abuse or homelessness. And, you know, we've had so many people on this program that are actual clients of The Connection, some of them now who run programs for The Connection that have, because of the assistance that they've gotten through The Connection, have turned their lives around, have gotten their kids back, that have now a roof over their heads. So I, what I don't think that the average, you know, person, general public realizes is that this money isn't just thrown out there. You are held accountable um, in so many ways for making sure that these programs work and that you're having an impact. Our organization, The Connection, and other organizations, nonprofits in Connecticut um, do what we do, which is uh, collecting data. 
which is um, working with universities to, you know, run numbers and to show that uh, clients are getting better, to prove that, you know, we, we have, ev- you know, evidence-based programs we run, but we also have worked with several universities and continue to do so that follow our clients um, to show that treatment is making a difference and that, you know, their children are not going into the system as they grew up. And the reality is that, you know, addiction, mental health, homelessness, it affects everyone. This isn't just about a a minority population or quote unquote, those people. This affects everyone. There isn't anyone that I'm sure listening to the show or that, that, that we know on the phone that hasn't suffered from, you know, difficulty in their life and situations. And, you know, no one really signs up for this. And, you know, people deserve a second chance and deserve to get better. And, you know, we see every walk of life every walk of life in our programs and not only my program, but my, my other, um, my peers in the state. Um, and I do want to thank you, John Carl, for, um, something that I I think is, is of note because of you and the work that you're doing at the Alliance, you have really allowed an open, transparent dialogue with all nonprofits across the state. And that didn't exist at one point. And I just want to thank you for that because strength is with numbers and your ability to, even through this COVID pandemic, to have the, you know, Zoom forums and to bring people together on the several alliance committees has really allowed um, our agency to work with other agencies in a closer way and to really fight for what we believe in. And, you know, there is strength in numbers. And we would not have been able to do that without you and your belief in the work we do in bringing us together as a united front. So I, I do want to thank you for that. Um, thank you. That's very kind. I, you know, I think the good news is that the kinds of things that you've been doing, giving tours, uh, having folks that work with you tell the stories, is making a difference. The testimonies are making a difference. Um, the individuals who have gone through programs and have come out the better for it are telling their stories. And it seems like legislators are understanding that this needs to be a priority at long last. And that's why we feel pretty good about it. The state has the means this year, as I was describing earlier, what it needs is the will needs to make the decision that nonprofits are going to be the priority this year. And it's not nonprofits as a concept out there. It is, it is the programs that nonprofits operate the 117,000 people that work for nonprofits and the over 500,000 people a year who are helped by them. Those are the people that need the funding. It's not about sort of a, a uh, just the idea that there are nonprofits out there. This is about human beings and exactly. improving yeah. people's lives. So where do you think the pushback is or where has it been historically? historically, John Carl, um, why has, you know, the state of Connecticut gotten $461 million um, behind in funding? And do you think realistically that that is even a possibility to get caught up? I do think it's a possibility because, um, you know, as I said, $67 million is easily doable in a state that is looking at a $600 million some odd surplus for this year. Um, I think the reason it's happened is complex and it's over a long period of time. 
Um, but one of the reasons is that the state has obligations that it has to pay every year, it has to pay off bonded debt, it has to pay pensions for former mm-hmm. employees. Um, and the portion of the budget that is subjected to cuts is um, is now, at this point, less than half of the total budget. So in a tough year since 2008, when cuts had to be made, there were only a limited number of places where they, where they could be made, nonprofits being one of them. And I think we've gotten to the point where other, other areas have been viewed as important and priorities. I think we're finally getting to the point where what nonprofit mm-hmm. folks do is, is seen as a priority by the state. Well, and now it looks like um, an agreement has been reached um, as of this program um, with Mohegan Sun and the online betting now going to make it through the is now going to make it through the legislature. Uh, look at the revenue from that. So, you know, you're adding even more dollars, you know, to the pool here. And hopefully, you know, folks up there at what I call the big house, um, even if they're there virtually, will look at this as a priority because, um, you know, I know just from being an outside person and doing this program that the results are there, that the programs work. And I've seen the faces and heard the voices of the people who've been so impacted and it only benefits all of us, right? It's not about um, supporting, as Lisa said, those people or these are bad people. No, these are people from all walks of life that have hit hard mm-hmm. times. And, you know, if not for the grace of God, it could be any of us. So it's to everybody's benefit and it's to the benefit of our economy and our lifestyle and wanting to live in this state that we help people get better. And that's what the connection and other nonprofits do on a daily basis. And I don't think we realize the work and the dedication that goes into that. You know, and it's part of what makes a state like Connecticut kind of a unified society. I mean, um, as, as you were saying earlier, I mean, these are people, uh, people who have problems are found in every community of the state. I think mm-hmm. police officers will tell you that um, when, when it comes to substance dealing, uh, that the clientele is coming off the highway for, out of the suburbs and small towns and going into the cities in order to to buy drugs. Um, it's not just a city problem. It is a statewide problem. And we have to respond to it as a state. And hopefully that will be the case over the next few months. First stuff is yeah, the Appropriations I- Committee. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we, we've had um, recent members of the appro- uh, recently members of the Appropriations Committee attend. Um, I had them attend our board meeting, um, and they were uh, over Zoom, and um, they were, you know, extremely supportive of Connecticut and the work that we're doing. And um, you know, they uh, many of them have you know special things that they're personally uh, that are they're passionate to. Um, across the board, but, uh, you know, they have been responsive, and um, I I do believe that they're hearing um, what the needs are, and, you know, they understand that Connecticut is important, and it's the only way we're going to make it a better state is to be offering um, the citizens the services that they need um, to make us a better state, right, Um, to give back to to give back to the community. Um, these are folks that, you know, have had um, difficult situations or, you know, things might have been fine. And, you know, we've seen families that recently lost their jobs that were operating just fine. And, you know, because of the pandemic and other things that have happened are now unemployed and are finding themselves in situations that they never thought that they would be in. So, 
things are things are difficult, but you know we keep moving along, and and we only can do it together as a unified front. And um, clearly, you have been our voice and our leader <laughs> through all of it, despite all of it. And you just keep pushing through. I have to say, though, uh, John Carl, that you're just as passionate, if not more, than we are. Um, and um, I, we really are so grateful for you. Um, and your staff are absolutely fat. You have such a wonderful staff also, by the way. I have to tell you, Ben and Julia and, and the rest of your staff have really been very responsive and very supportive of all the nonprofits. And uh, that's just been really so helpful to us. Uh, they've been terrific. I've been, uh, I'm, I'm a very lucky CEO to have the staff that I have, but also the membership that I have. And uh, people have been so supportive of the work that we do. Now, I, well, one of the things you said earlier, um, I think there's repeating, people complain all the time about politicians making sort of short-sighted decisions and only working about, worrying about the upcoming election. We have a chance by investing in nonprofits and the work that they do uh, to avoid costs in the future. It's more expensive if we let if we let problems fester. Absolutely. Somebody who has an issue that can be taken care of um, in a preliminary way, they may not go to a hospital, an emergency room, which is more expensive, um, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, if a person finds that they are having a difficult time, but they're able to develop a skill and um, and work well in, in their community. It's better than having them go go into prison if they commit a crime. That's significantly more expensive. So the avoided costs of mm-hmm. investing in nonprofits benefits everybody, and it's the kind of um, long-term view I think people want to see government take. We've got about 30 seconds left. So John Carl Casa, who's the president and CEO of the Alliance. So if you're looking ahead, um, what is your hope and, and what is your wish uh, for the outcome for this legislative session when it comes to nonprofit funding? Well, we're hoping that um, the legislature and the governor will come to an agreement that increases funding for nonprofit programs by 7% this year and by a total of $461 million over the next five years. And that will just catch them up to where they should be right now. Um, We hope that they'll be indexed and that nonprofits will be held harmless for the extraordinary expenses that they've had to incur because of COVID. Everyone who listens uh, to your program can help by talking to their state state legislator, writing to the governor's office and tell them that they support the kind of work that nonprofits do. Well, that's great because we always like to tell people they listen to these programs and they say, but what can we do about it? And you really can. You can call your representatives. You can call your your legislators. You can call mm-hmm. the governor's office. And they do pay attention to that. I know from working on other issues in my office in the past that that really does have an impact. So maybe someone out there has someone who's been helped by a nonprofit program. Um, I think that's that's great advice. And, you know, I really hope that you, not that you get what you want, but that you get what you need. I think that's really the bottom line here. So John Carl Casa, president and CEO of the Alliance, thank you so so much for being here, and um, I'm hoping everything works out because it's the right thing to do. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. And we want to thank all of you for listening to this edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. Somewhere on 
With the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.